Hey, welcome to the Transform Your Workplace podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. Thanks for giving us a try if it's the first time. And you know, for all those people who have listened to us over and over every Tuesday, really appreciate the support. We've seen tremendous growth with this podcast and without you, it'd be nothing. So thank you so much for all the support. In today's episode, I have a conversation with Mackie Musavi. She's the author of the new book, Out Today, as this podcast is released. Again, but don't know when you're listening to this. The book is called The High Achiever's Guide, Transform Your Success Mindset and Begin the Quest to Fulfillment. When I got this book in my hands, I thought it was a book all about you know the little decisions we make and the actions we take and you know the typical things that you would see in a book about being a high achiever. Those things are all important, of course, but there's a lot of books written about all that. This book is actually really about not only your mindset, but your interaction with people. And I think in today's workplace, you know, as we become more separated from technology or by technology, we become a little bit more isolated. And I think there's just so many issues with working with people and whether it's venting, gossip, misunderstandings, toxicity at work, all that stuff. So this book really outlines everything that you need to do to be a high achiever and how to work really well with others. It's a really fun book. Great conversation with Mackie. I encourage you to go get the book, but definitely listen to the podcast first and then take action from there. Thanks for tuning in today. Again, go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review and a written review. It'd be amazing. And always connect with me on LinkedIn if you haven't already. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, all those places. I'm pretty active on social media and love connecting with people like you. So thank you so much. Hey, Mackie, it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Thanks, Brandon. I'm really excited to be here. You have a book coming out. And actually, by the time this releases, your book, I believe, will release on the same date, October 15th. The High Achievers Guide, Transform Your Success Mindset and Begin the Quest of Fulfillment. I was surprised to see like how much of this book is about our interactions with people, who we're around, and also like what's inside our mind that shapes our behavior. How did you come to write a book like this? And really, who'd you write it for? Yeah, that's a good story. So basically, I wrote this book. I could almost just be speaking to myself as I write the book because that's pretty (laughs) much where I was at when I woke up one day and realized that despite all of this outward success that I had created for myself, you know, making great money in a prestigious position, Mm -hmm. had the respect of my colleagues and, you know, my leaders and all of that, I felt strangely empty. And it was a theme that I had battled before, but I always kind of found a way to put a bandaid on it. And yeah, I found that I would end up in the same place over and over again. And one of my observations during that period of time, when I was in this environment, my corporate job, and I looked around, I realized that I was not alone, that there were so many of us who felt the way that I felt, and nobody really knew how to get out of it. And as I went through my own personal development process to try to find a way to make myself both the responsible and empowered one for creating what I really wanted rather than where I was... I realized that this is a thing that a lot of people struggle with, particularly when they get to a certain place in their careers and when they are doing well. That's really when I think the newness wears off that you start to really see the reality of things. Most of us get stuck for the same reasons. And that's why I decided to write a book to hopefully speak to all of these people who are in that place of maybe professional success that still feels kind of empty. 
to help provide some tools for how to start to get out of that. In the title of it, the high achievers guide. So have you always considered yourself really a high achiever who was like stuck in a rut where you couldn't unlock the untapped potential that you knew that was possible? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I didn't realize it at first. I would come to these places where I had achieved whatever I set out to achieve. So definitely very goal oriented and would always outline a plan for how I was going to get from point A to point B and reach that goal. But repeatedly in the reaching of the goal, there wasn't a whole lot to celebrate when I got there. It was almost kind of a foregone conclusion that I was going to reach the goal. And I would immediately set about setting the next goal. And the part that was disturbing for me was the achievement wasn't fulfilling me. And I started to wonder if I was damaged in some way because, wow, yeah, you know, I couldn't seem to find that missing piece or whatever it was that was just eluding me. And I realized, again, because I saw this behavior in so many other people, that there tends to be like a very specific set of behaviors and ways of thinking in people who are achievement oriented that may provide outward success, but that ultimately hold us back from true success. Yeah. I don't know if you intended this in the book, but when I was reading it, so I'm coming from a lens of HR background, leadership, and you know that's our audience for the most part too, is a bunch of human resource professionals. And I know this book is really about the self. It's like looking from within, but I also was looking at it from the lens of HR and providing resources to people and really trying to look at who are my high potential employees and are we even like maximizing their potential and fulfilling them? There's so much about inner workings with people in this book that I thought it was not only great for the self, the individual, but also for leaders who are really trying to maximize potential. Absolutely. I'm really glad you said that because that really is the more subtle intention, perhaps, mm -hmm. is that my experience in corporate, you know, as a leader and as an employee, was that there's always so much emphasis on how to be a part of something bigger than yourself, like whether that's to be a team player, a good leader you know, how to facilitate all the things that come with that. And there's a ton of books around corporate culture and like how to do all of those things that are really great. And there's nothing wrong with any of those. But what is absolutely missing at some point is that you can teach people to do all of those things. But then ultimately, once they've kind of mastered that sort of interaction based recommendations, ultimately, what you really need people to do is to show up very authentically in a way that may feel scary and in a way that really requires self-awareness and confronting of your own biases and thought processes and the way you limit yourself and interaction with others and even with yourself. It really is, in my opinion, intended for people who lead as well, because it's only through leading by example that you can help others do the same thing. It's very unreasonable to expect people to wake up, be self-aware and show up in a very different way if that's not being modeled for them and it's not being encouraged. And instead, what's being encouraged is please meet this set of expectations that we've decided make a good employee, which is exactly why people stagnate because all they're ever doing is meeting mm -hmm. external expectations instead of forming their own for themselves. Absolutely. That's a great point. I love that. A lot of the first part of the book is really talking about inner workings with people. And you talk about some of the pitfalls specifically avoiding toxicity, you say that it's really vital to being a high achiever. So how do we look out for toxic people, toxic relationships in our lives and at work? And you even said like toxicity could be really subtle at times. So maybe give a few examples of that. Sure. Yeah, I think most of us are pretty good now, especially nowadays, seeing 
real obvious toxicity. You know, we see a lot of mm-hmm. examples of that in our politics and other things where we recognize it and we know to stay away from things like that. It's a lot harder to recognize what are different, basically, archetypes that I lay out in the book where this person may be really nice and pleasant to be around, but, you know, if they're constantly seeing themselves as a victim, you know, being ineffective in their work because of interpersonal interaction challenges, or maybe they're highly emotional and that's really a defense mechanism to keep you from having tough conversations with them. There's lots of things Mm -hmm. to look for, but I think the number one way to really feel into whether something is off is to honor your intuition, which is something that we're really bad at these days because we don't give ourselves the time and space. But if you are in a situation with somebody where you realize you kind of dread interacting with them, or you feel like you have to be very careful of what you say, how it's going to be taken, if you avoid speaking up at all because you're trying to avoid a particular reaction, it's highly likely that that person is toxic, even if for all intents and purposes, they come across as quite pleasant. Yeah. And you even mentioned like toxic people are manipulators. That's right. So how do we even look out for toxic people? Are there signs of those kind of people, you said like they could be nice. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Like it's obviously fake because they're trying to manipulate you. But like, who are we looking out for? You know, a lot of the time to look for those types of things where, you know, potentially people are having overreactions to things that are said to them because it's a defense mechanism against being confronted. It's oftentimes people who are always looking externally for an answer, you know, so people who are not very self-efficacious who are everything is either somebody else's fault or somebody else needs to fix it for them. So there's like, some disempowerment that they're using to kind of play on Mm -hmm. their need for your help or input. People who refuse to take responsibility. I think that's a huge one. People who are toxic are not self-aware enough to accept when they have done something that warrants a correction. And so if they're always have a reason, always have a person, always have a finger to point, that is a really good indicator as well. So things to look out for would be, you know, what I've mentioned as well as just some subtleties around, you know, what's the morale like around this person? How do other people feel in interaction with this person? Do you feel like this person is asking you for more than you want to give on a regular basis? Are these people who ask you to do things that you wouldn't ask people to do? Just some really subtle things like that, which sometimes in just your sense of irritation with someone, if you take a beat to really think about why you're irritated, you can sometimes reveal that there is a pattern here. The reason you're irritated is because it's a recurrent theme. And then I mentioned gaslighting in particular, because I think that's really important. This can be very subtle, but it's basically where people deny something that you've confronted them with. They may lie about it. They may try to cover it up. Again, they may redirect your attention. And it's not always a super obvious thing. And one of the challenges of toxicity, especially in the workplace, is it's kind of a soft area where, you know, it's pretty easy. A lot of us have checklists of behaviors to look for when it comes to harassment or you know, comments or statements that are made that are unacceptable. But toxicity is a much subtler set of behaviors where it's easy to overlook because you could explain away the thing that you're seeing unless it really becomes repetitive and multiple people are experiencing it. You said a minute ago, disempowerment. And I think that's a perfect way to sum up like what toxicity does. And there's a quote I pulled that I really liked from your book. The quote says, if you are allowing someone else to call the shots and reacting to those calls, you are disempowered in that relationship, end quote. Amy, is that really what it comes down to with toxicity? Is that we're not calling the shots. We're letting somebody else manipulate us and really kind of railroad us to a certain standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. That's 100% what it is. 
And that's where the manipulation comes in. You know, the person is using behaviors that manipulate in you into doing their bidding in subtle and overt ways that basically where you end up is you're just doing whatever feels easiest to you to avoid the consequences, but that's actually giving them what they want. So you are in a place of disempowerment because you're making this compromise that it's easier to stay silent and acquiesce versus like stand up and set a boundary. One of my favorite sections from your book, and I've read this in some other things, and I think about it a lot, is this notion of self-prioritization. I'd read a book, I can't not remember the title, but it was really about working on yourself first. Like if you want to be a good leader and be a high achiever, as you describe, you've got to work on yourself first. Mm -hmm. And if you can't lead yourself, you can't lead other people and be really good at your job. So I mean, you describe actually as the way people look at self-prioritization and taking care of themselves, it's a, almost a race to the bottom. Mm -hmm. Who can sink to the bottom the fastest? People just don't take care of themselves and they make excuses for it. Why is that? We are so conditioned to think that the right thing to do is to make sure that the needs of other people are met. And it yeah. kind of goes back to something I said earlier as well, which is that we're busy meeting the expectations that other people set out for us, right? And so we really lose sight of who we are in playing that game to be validated externally by the people who are like, hey, good job for doing X and Y that we expected you to do. Here's your reward. And we are so out of practice with doing that for ourselves and putting ourselves first and doing what feels good to us because we're taught that that's selfish. So guilt kicks in very quickly. We make a lot of excuses for why that's not possible. And among those excuses are typically fear-based things. Well, I'm going to lose my job if I say this or do this, or I'm not going to get that opportunity for promotion if I say what I really think. And if I don't play this game, even though it feels icky to me, then I can't get to where I want to be. And so by the time you're done compromising on all the things that you really would rather not do, you may have tangible on paper evidence of your greatness that feels pretty crappy on the inside. Mm -hmm. I love metaphors. Another quote that I grabbed from that section is the quote says, appreciation of your self-worth is like laying the foundation for a home. Mm -hmm. End quote. I love that because it really to take care of yourself, it is the foundation. And then if you're going to build the house on top of it, like that's going to be your success. So you need the foundation first. People need to take care of themselves. Absolutely. And I think some of the examples I use are like, you know, this weird way we get into bragging about that we had to skip lunch or we didn't get enough sleep or we spent yeah, 10,000 right. days on the road, you know, like, why is that good? But really, people do talk about that as if it's evidence of how committed they are to their success when in fact, it's exactly what's destroying you. Yeah, it's funny and not really that funny, but sad in a way. Like, there's a lot of people I've worked around in the past that. It's almost like a competition. Who's the busiest? You know, who worked through lunch? Who was up the latest working? Who was sending emails at 2 oh, a.m.? <laughs> like, yes. right? Like, we've all dealt with that. Like, that. why is that sexy? No. <laughs> it's, it's not. It's destroying us. Exactly. It is really strange. It's as if, you know, your success could be measured by your suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Unreal. You talk about emotions and how they're really important. Quote says, how many times have you had a gut feeling about something or someone and decided to dismiss it in favor of logic and practicality, end quote? I love that because, you know, often we are dismissing our emotions. We're saying, oh, I'm just being irrational at this point, And we do favor logic and practicality. Talk about emotions. Why are they important? Yeah, I think this goes back to some conditioning around 
you know, we're taught that emotions are kind of yucky. Like we have all kinds of sayings mm-hmm. around how we shouldn't make emotional decisions, how we shouldn't make decisions when emotions are high, how we shouldn't interact with people when emotions are high. And while there's some wisdom to some of that, it really has taught us that emotions are in some way weak and that they should be subservient to our rational and logical minds. And the challenge is that it really has taken this very important tool that we have and has made it almost irrelevant when it really should be the first thing that we go to. So I alluded to earlier when we were talking about toxic people, you know, the best way to gauge whether or not somebody is toxic to interact with is how you personally feel in interaction with that person. Because your Mm -hmm. gut feeling is typically the right thing. And it's unfortunate, you know, we get to this place where people say, well, I'm just really unhappy. So it must be that I'm not, you know, I just need to get over it. I have everything I could possibly want. Anybody else would be happy to be in my shoes. So I might go put this bandaid on here, which is to go buy a new car or, you know, spend some money on something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. When in reality, your feelings exist for a reason. And I'm telling you, the worse you feel, the more of a red flag that is that you are just too far away from who you are at the core of your being. And we need to honor that. Those bad feelings that we have a really hard time suppressing are actually our friends. They're there to be a early warning system that something's out of balance. We are ignoring who we truly are. We're ignoring what we truly need. And when we continue to use logic to overcome those feelings, we make bad decisions. We make decisions that we can often look back on hindsight and go, hey, I knew that wasn't the right thing. I felt it, but I did it anyway. And we also continue to cycle in this pattern that isn't serving us until, you know, unfortunately for some people, it's they get sick, a relationship falls apart, some like massive wake up call has to happen in order to show you like, no, no, things are really off. And we all too often wait for it to get to the point where it's basically a rock bottom situation instead of honoring our feelings along the way and feeling into is this right or wrong? And do I need to be making an adjustment? You know, it's funny, I consider myself a very emotional male. (laughs) But I also have the logic and practicality side of me too. And I feel like those things always have to be in balance. I think on the emotion side, you do have to go with your gut. And I also feel like the emotions are what makes us human. And if we're talking about connection, and that's how we can get high achievement. If you don't have any emotion, and you're all logic, I think you have a ceiling as far as like a limited ceiling on how far you can really go with achievement. What do you think about that? I completely agree with you. And I think it's that, you know, soft skill of emotional intelligence that you're kind of referring to. Yes. And the reason I put so much Mm -hmm. maybe to some would say overemphasis on emotions is because we are so programmed in the opposite direction that I just want them to bubble up as important. But you're exactly right in that they're both important. But there are times when we really need to honor the feeling over the logic because the logical part of our brains, we do want to talk ourselves out of things that may feel scary or threatening to us, which sometimes the bad feelings that we have can feel scary or threatening to us. But you need those emotional skills to really connect with people and to co-create because none of us, and I think this is one of the biggest downfalls of the way that we see achievement as we're taught is that, you know, we're one man or one woman show and that the glory is in accomplishing something on your own when in reality, none of us can accomplish anything on our own. And the more we accept that and see that the magic is in the connection and co-creation, the better off we're going to be. I latched on to your section about venting, particularly because it's just so core to a corporate environment. But also, I've never talked about it on the podcast. so I can't wait to (laughs) talk to you about this. So Venting, you'd said that venting with others builds a sense of community around shared misery. And I could not agree more. Why do we do this? We know it's unhealthy. 
Right. Talk to me about well, venting. Well, you know, I think <laughs> that when you're in this place where you continuously push down these feelings, like I'm not happy, I don't want to be here, that you normalize that feeling by finding other people who feel the same way. And it's like this weird temporary solace to know that you're not alone in that sense that this person is really hard to deal with, or this situation is really messed up, or, you know, why do they make so many bad decisions? But the challenge is that the venting itself, it does a couple of things. First of all, it feeds on itself. So I think we've all had that kind of experience where the more you give vent to your frustrations, the more frustrated you become. And it does have this negative side effect of creating a community of shared misery so that it normalizes what you're accepting. And that's really the danger. Yeah, so true. How do we break that cycle? Like, what do we do when others are venting? And we really want that sense of community, but we don't want to share the misery, as you suggested. Yeah. So what I did when I was still in my corporate job and what I do now with my coaching clients is to say, okay, go, you have 60 seconds to vent. And you put mm, a time like limit on it, right? So go ahead and have your human feelings, like be frustrated, be angry. There's nothing wrong with those feelings. You have them. We all have them. It's okay. But what you want to do is give voice to that and then shift to what you're going to do differently. And one of the things that I started to experiment with when I was still in my corporate job with people who were in a place where they were venting a lot was to say, what are you going to do about it? And not in a like confrontational way, but, you know, we've been talking about, you brought this up a few times. What do you think you could do to make it better? And try to get them focused on, you know, is there something that you're just not articulating that you need to? Because here's the deal, like things do not magically get better. And that there's a reason why there's a whole chapter in my book about speaking up. It's like you think that all the venting you're doing in private is somehow reaching the right ears and that something's going to change. When in fact, you are the change. You can't just wait for someone to fix it for you if you're not willing to say what the problem is and how you would fix it. It does seem like whoever's participating in the venting exercise, they have the opportunity to shut it down. I like your idea of the timer, like, you know, 60 seconds vent, but we're going to be then productive. I'm going to ask you questions about, hey, what are you going to do to fix it? I do think it's a choice by the person who's on the other side of the venting. They could either, you know, add to it or help them get exactly. out of that Exactly. And this goes back to what you pointed out earlier that I talk a lot about, which is venting is disempowered. Figuring out what action to take is empowered. I love that. This next part came as a shock to me. So you suggest that high achievers should stay in their <laughs> lane. Explain that to me. <laughs> so to me, this is really about not just being narrowly focused, but making sure that yeah. you know, you're paying attention to yourself. And so I think the other thing with venting that becomes very magnified is that when we are not where we want to be and we know there's work we need to do, but we don't know how to do it, we often find other things to point out in other people or situations yeah. because it deflects from the work that we need to do ourselves. And staying in your lane is about not doing that, right? It's about seeing what you need to do. And if you see something that someone else is doing that you think is, you know, crazy or whack or whatever, you make a decision to kind of stay in your lane. You see somebody doing something that you disagree with. That's their choice. Unless they're coming to you to ask for your help, that's none of your concern, right? You focus on you and what you need to do. But aside from that, it's also about doing the things that are a part of that lane that you're in. So we're talking a lot about leadership. You know, if you're a leader, then be a leader, be in that lane of leadership and do your best in that situation, be self-aware, do the self-improvement, do whatever you need to do to be that person. 
if you're being a good friend to someone, you know, be that friend. But this is more about like, stop focusing on what everyone else is doing that you disagree with or that you don't understand because everyone's on their own journey. And unless they're specifically coming to you for feedback in that particular area, it's not your concern. So I think there's just so much of, you know, we look at what other people are doing and we get super hung up on whatever decisions they're making when we've got plenty of stuff to think about in our own lives and we do not need to be doing that. That is so true. And I love this notion of like the deep work. The book by Cal Newport is great where, you know, you focus on your own stuff, you go deep, get rid of all the other distractions. And I do feel like this idea of staying in your own lane, it does make a lot of sense because if you are letting, you know, either drama or other people venting or other things that just don't have anything to do with you, it's going to distract you and you're going to be less productive. You're not going to have high achievement. Right. As you described. Yep, absolutely. So there's a lot of advice out there about leaders should be listening. And you'd actually said that keeping your words inside is harmful. So what do you mean by that? Yeah, so I think, you know, we have a pretty intense culture of people pleasing, where we're very concerned with how what we say comes across to others. And that can lead to us not saying the things that really need to be said. And listening is incredibly important. But if you listen or observe and see things that really do require you to give truthful feedback or input or whatever it may be, and that feels harsh to you, I would say that's one of the first things for us to look at is why is being honest seen as harsh? That's a problem with the way that we are societally conditioned. It does a couple things. First of all, we're not built to eat our words. I think when we don't express, it ends up creating a lot of anxiety and tension for us. And what I see a lot is people who are kind of at the simmering point all the time because they're so busy never saying what they really think that little things set them off, right? And it's a symptom. It's because the things that really do matter and really do have weight are just locked inside of them. And so then little things are like feathers on the haystack and then they lose it. There's a personal consequence to keeping your words inside of yourself. And there's a couple of things with this that I think are really important is that people are always afraid that when they say what they want to say, that they're going to be creating a conflict. And I always tell people speaking up is not a creation of conflict. You cannot control the other person's reaction. And it's not, again, stay in your lane. It's not for you to decide you're not supposed to say something because they may not react the way that you want them to. You still need sometimes to say the thing that may be triggering to the other person. And that is their trigger to manage. The second is you don't give others the opportunity to respond when you don't use your words. If you can't articulate what you want, you can't have it. If you can't articulate that something needs to change, it's not going to change. There is zero chance that things are going to improve simultaneously if you will not give voice to the things that you see that need improvement. There's a quote I love that I think sums this up perfectly. And I put it on my LinkedIn this morning because I loved it so much. So you said, true connection involves reciprocation of respect, end quote. And I love that because I think what you mean by that is that, you know, real respect is being open, authentic not eating your words. It's saying, you know, being honest. And even if it creates a little bit of conflict in the moment, at least you're being honest. And that's, I think, nice. I think being open and honest and being human is nice versus if you just sit back. No, like you don't feel connected to people that you can't be open with, right? Like we all have those relationships where we feel like a burden has been lifted when we're with this person because we can say anything and we can just be who we are. And if you can imagine having that sensation more often than you don't have it, 
that's really freeing. And it really is exactly what you said. You know, when you have trust with someone and you trust that you can be honest with them and they can be honest with you, that is a different level of connection. And you can get to the point where, you know, no one is saying that you need to communicate it in a way that's hurtful. Do it with compassion, but still do it because you can't have a real connection with somebody that you can't respect and trust to either hear what they have to say or who can hear what you have to say. Mackie, I got to say, like, this book was a pleasant surprise. And I know it's not out for the general public yet, but I expected, you know, with the title, like High Achievers Guide, I really thought it was going to be a list all about what you should be doing from, you know, morning routine and how many books you should be reading a year and like all these things that would make you like a high achiever. But this book is really about working with other people and emotional intelligence and all of those things. So any other things that we didn't touch on that you think would be a mistake if we didn't talk about it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, what I want people to understand is we all get, we all stagnate at some point. And the best way to get out of yeah. that stagnation is to turn that, you know, look inward at yourself and see what you're like as a person and like really get to know yourself on this deep level without judgment and to make these adjustments that, you know, I lay out in the book. It can feel overwhelming, but it's so amazing how just doing these little things that over time become new habits really shift your perspective and they change your life very dramatically if you just commit to doing that work. So for anyone who's felt like, man, I've tried to change my life so many times and it's so hard and I always get back to square one and like nothing's really changed. If you're willing to do the work, I tried really hard to make sure that the things I pointed out in this book were really truly actionable and that things that anybody could do. My guest has been Mackie Musavi. She's the author of The High Achiever's Guide, Transform Your Success Mindset and Begin the Quest to Fulfillment. Mackie, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find the book? By the time this releases, it should be out by now. Where can people follow you on social media and anything that you want to point people to would be great. Sure. Yeah, it'll be you know all the major places, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound. There's a link on my website that links to all of those things or you can go find it wherever your favorite place to shop is. Awesome. Thanks, Mackie. Thank you so much. 